0: Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us in yet another sunny day here in an empty capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Diane Thompson, Group Chief Executive of Honeycomb Group, a non-profit organization based in Stoke-on-Trent, Staffordshire, which provides support services to keep people safe and well at home. Diane, hello.
1: Good morning.
0: Good morning. Thank you for coming on the program. Uh, Now, normally, I would go straight on to the subject of leadership, but considering the ongoing COVID-19 outbreak, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, how is this affecting your operations?
1: Well, it's certainly been a challenge. Um, I, I, but I, having said that, it's also, I think, created create some opportunities for us as a, as a, as a group. Um, I think the biggest thing was how quickly we um, made the change to uh, ensure people were safe at home, whether we we're working or we were working in front of customers still. So I think um, I was incredibly proud of how the business responded. Um, but it is really strange. This is week 10 of uh, nearly 300 staff, probably 200 working at home and 100 still working face-to-face with customers. So I think for us to, to mobilize all of that and, and um, get up and running in a new way has been pretty terrific, really. So you have to take the positives out of it. Mm. Uh, there's also lots of challenges still bubbling around until we can see where the future's taking us and, and plan for that. It's um, it's still quite challenging, I would say.
0: And how long did that transition transition take from office-based to home-based working?
1: We had pretty much everybody home-based within um, two weeks, um, so uh, everybody was pretty much out of the office um, straight away, but getting people mobilised with the right equipment and um, making sure they got Wi-Fi and all those sort of things working, we did all that within about two weeks, but, um, but a lot of the business was up and running within about five days um, from home, so it was pretty incredible. I think the hard, the hardest thing was where we have um, supported housing projects and how we then had to sort of introduce the social distancing and rotors with staff. So we had to reduce the number of staff um, supporting customers. That's been quite challenging. But um, two weeks, really, to, to get us all kind of functioning. Um, and then you start to work on how you improve some of those things from a different um, location, a different way of working as well.
0: Now, of course, it must be a very different dynamic managing a team of, as you said, about 300 people, uh, but not in the same place. What sort of uh, management techniques have you had to employ to be able to keep all these staff motivated and on target?
1: I think that's a really, really good question as well. I think it has been very different. I think one of the things that we've tried to do is we've we've put in place very quickly um, an interim engagement strategy for for our staff. So we made sure that people have got access to things like MS Teams and Zoom, and People were WhatsApping each other before that was that was ready, and um, so they created their own little hubs of, of teams, and that so they could keep in touch and and support each other. And then we've done lots of things like um, we've create, created created um, a group news. We've got that out every four weeks to tell the whole organisation what's going on. I personally took some some responsibility to try and do things a little bit differently as well. And I I rang all of our team leaders, all of our leadership team to see how they were doing, have they got the resources they needed. What were the obstacles, the barriers to doing their job effectively at home? And, and we've just generally tried to encourage people to uh, let us know if something's not working, if they haven't got the right equipment. We've done things like deliver people's personal office chairs to them to make them feel comfortable right. and um, just try and make it the best we can. And I think the most recent thing we've done is we've done a bit of a pulse survey with staff of not, not what's working well for you, but how you're feeling about this because... We've got a raft of people with um, child care challenges, um, their own mental well-being um, being challenged, not the right space to work at home. And then we've got people who are desperate to work in front of customers that are at high risk. Because that's so, far too late. so it's quite a complex um, situation, I think, for, for leaders, really complex.
0: Well, let's talk about uh, when we transition back to the normal world. Do you think you'll ever fully go back to the way you were before?
1: I think that's, um, everybody keeps talking about this new normal, don't they? And I think what we're trying to do is reimagine how our services will be delivered um, whilst perhaps um, this virus still exists um, around us and we don't know, you know, until there's probably the track and trace is working effectively and we won't ever be back to something that we have had in the past. So I think what we're we're doing now is we're reimagining how those services can be delivered safely and I think what it'll, it'll do is it'll force us to do some things better and in a more efficient and 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 way that supports flexibility for the way staff work as well. So I think there's been very positive from it. I think for us it'll be a balance between some people continuing to work at home and really making a, a massive change for us in that. And it may be that we we think we probably will end up with a balance between the two that will create some kind of hub, um, which is a centre for people to still connect with that face-to-face with their customers and with each other. I think what's come out of our survey is people miss that social connectivity, and it can't be underestimated. When you do that, you solve problems better, you you bounce off each other. There's lots of real positives. So I think we'll be striving for a real balance on this and not a, we're just going to be digital and we're just going to do everything remotely. That's just not who we are. We are
0: mm.
1: people-centric. We need to be back in front of customers as well.
0: Well, uh, we should move on to the subject of leadership. I always like to start this part of the conversation off by asking the same simple question. What does the word leader mean to you?
1: Okay, so the word leader for me, I think um, it means very much somebody who can create vision and then clarity around that vision that enables people to kind of come with you on a journey um, where you're very, very ambitious, determined, and believing something, but you obviously need lots of people to be able to deliver around that vision, around that strategy. So it means very, for me, very much about someone that can bring, those, bring people with you, inspire people, and, and really get people to buy into where you're trying to get to and what you're actually trying to achieve. Um, I think if it can be, be understood like that, I think people can um, buy into that and, and really understand where they fit in.
0: And how would you describe your personal leadership style?
1: I, th- I think uh, the leadership style I, I try to adopt is is one that um, starts with openness and honesty. Um, I think people need to see who you are to be able to build that trust and build that relationship. I think you have to be interested in other people. Um, it can't be about um, yourself and and too much uh, around egos. I think it's really important that people you have that relationship of trust and you and you care about the people that that work around you. Um, so I try very much around collaboration. I try really hard to communicate with people in an open and honest way Um, I like to provide that clarity and that trust that people see the purpose of where we're trying to get to and and what that means to to the people that we serve the customers and the communities that we exist for Um, if you can get those kind of messages across I think um, leadership is that's what that's the sort of leadership that people um, are fairly comfortable with I think.
0: Now where um did your leadership style come from? Where's its genesis? Did you have a role model early on on your career who shaped you in this way
1: i think i think I always think about role models as a really interesting question i always um there are you know iconic leaders out there that you always think, wow you know that's that's amazing people like obama but i think I think for me it's been a, a combination of things um key influences I think uh, not just any one person has defined my my leadership style. I think it comes from um, staying relevant, uh, being very self-aware, reading a lot. And I love the work of Brené Brown. That's very much about your own vulnerability and about courage and being brave. Um, I, you know, I think you know I've studied around all sorts of things are, are around professional qualifications to give you that support. But for me, it's very much inherent about being very self-aware, very open to learning, um, not think that you've made it in any way. Um, and you, you know, I think. There's been good and bad influences for me across by time I and mean, you take you take those experiences and think, oh, yeah, I want to do it that way um and you know you don't always get things right, but i think if you if you're open to to challenge and to um to, to the most important thing about about leadership for my, my style and the and the way I believe about it is is getting the best out of other people um you cannot do the thing yourself, and it is really important to build that um Confidence and the strengths of other people to go on and and get things done.
0: Now, unfortunately, our time together has drawn to its close. The last grain of sand has fallen through the glass. Uh, But before I let you go, what does the next 12 months have in store for Honeycomb Group?
1: I think the next 12 months is going to be um, really interesting, Um, but I think it has, um, we have a lot of ambition in our strategy. We've just written a five year strategy that is about building more homes, it's about supporting more people who. Um, are, are, are probably on the more vulnerable side of society and um, we've got lots of plans to provide more supported housing we're trying to work with communities to to help their pathways and journeys into better education better jobs other things so i think we will continue to plow on with um with those ambitions and and manage the circumstances that we find ourselves in um, but those desires and those ambitions do not go away for for the Honeycomb Group, and we will be very determined to make sure that we are in this business to make changes and support people to have the best life they can have.
0: Well, I'd like to thank you, Diane, for coming on the program, and I'd love to have you back on when things get back to some semblance of normalcy to see how that transition is going. Diane, thank you. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. That was Diane Thompson, Group Chief Executive of the Honeycomb Group. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview.
3: Well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Although oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for, my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago. 1962, I think that was. So I didn't... And- um, yes, I, I didn't really feel anything at the time... It was, but, <laughs> lucky to be playing, I guess, had one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, being stuck between the two sports.
2: And I think, uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not, perhaps, a, a footballer, but... Um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership, it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him?
3: Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football and uh the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who um, was played under him and has been very successful as a player and a and manager over many, many, many years. He and he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over fifteen years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with so you are very fortunate. I think you you re, you think you're lucky when you come across, if you have a great teacher at school and uh, a great coach, as we had in Ron Greenwood, and of course uh, a great manager in South Alf so to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life, and that's that's quite purely the case.
2: Absolutely, and in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with with a manager like like uh, Ron uh, there. It's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And, of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peters? I think
3: probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the talent of the players. I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with the, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters who was a fantastic player. And as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain Bonhoeffer. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier and played for England in 62, four years before the final Which uh, was absolutely, but I can use that now but it, it is quite funny.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we another time then. But we. Um, uh, well, you want me? I, I can tell you if you so want.
3: You've want, you got time. I can tell I go, you if you want. Jeff, go on.
2: Go on. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh,
3: doing it at a dinner in, in the channel lines, three or 400 people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions. Uh not think about their role as the boss of an organization, and I think that's you're completely focused. you're always thinking about uh things thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, attuning your life to being successful
2: excellent well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today.
3: You're welcome, good to it's nice to have a talk about this and just go over the over the past and just uh refresh my my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with.